Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, Alice, a couple of things. It is the 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. I know that you found this one hard to celebrate because of the road Happy decision. Happy birthday, USA. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. And you're okay even though the road decision? Yes. I'm still celebrating my rights and freedoms. So a couple of things. In a moment, we're going to hear from Noah Rothman, who is from Commentary Magazine. Commentary Magazine is a... A, a brilliant publications, brilliant website. The commentary podcast is it is my go to on both it an analytical level and just um just kind of a, a comfort level. Now I'm I'm so familiar with these people and their personalities that I'm that I that I just love them. The, the, and it's it's Abe Greenwald, Christina Roseman, Ro, uh, Rosen, um, Noah Rothman, and John Podhoritz. Mm-hmm. And um, they're just intellectuals, and it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful publication. Great, the podcast is just fantastic. I love it. Every day when I see the red uh, little icon that shows the pom- the the commentary magazine pod is there, then I am happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so uh, it. So we're going to talk to Noah Rothman in a moment. He wrote the rise of the new Puritans, um, fighting back against progressive era. Um, uh, on fun, progressive war on fun. I'm sorry. Um, and all right, so we're gonna we're gonna get to that in a moment. Now, it should be said that we're in such a culture clash at the moment. For instance, Bette Midler just tweeted something out mm-hmm. that saying that uh, that um, you know women aren't birthing people; they're women, etc. And it caused a swarm of people to maul her on social media saying of no of course you know trans women can also mm-hmm. trans men can also everybody etc cetera, etc cetera. so we've got these the what are really there there are there is a radical strain of progressivism in this country that is um is at war at institutions it's it's like a 
a it's a it's a jihad against institutions trying to break down everything and it's insane and we know it's insane they beat you so much and they're so control most of the media that you start to question yourself you question yourself and say wait me is it okay that a guy reading a children's book it has his ass in a kid's face is that okay after a while and you wonder wait am i being intolerant and that's how they work they are very they've been working on this for quite a while mm-hmm. and this stuff that the, 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 the trans man is a man or a woman it's all horse shit it's just ridiculous nonsense and you know that the there was the before times before we became we became fully stupid mm-hmm. when this was the butt of a joke you can talk about gender and and being on a on a spectrum for here and there whatever and it's mildly interesting whatever but at the end of the day there's no men who can ever be women. No. No man can ever be no, You can dress up as one. Yeah, you can make pretend. It's fine. You can get surgery on your face no and No woman on your can ever cords, be a man. You're still just not one. No woman can ever be a man. Mm-hmm. And this idea that we're hitting a new height now because we're showing, because it's affirmation and da 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 We know. There's a reason why there are girls' locker rooms that are set aside for girls. Obviously. There's a reason, and we all know the reason. Right. It's because boys would really love to be in that locker room. Right. That's excellent. Right. We don't just separate them for the heck of it. We don't separate them because we don't want the girls to go into the boys' locker room and spy on them. Like, there's there's one reason, and one reason only, why we separate the boys' and girls' bathrooms and the boys' and girls' locker rooms and everything else. It's because we don't want the boys to be able to get around the girls. Now, part of the fallout, I feel, from mm-hmm. all of this insanity is that, and it's related, I truly believe, if you look and just see the TikTok and the, the uh, Instagram, et cetera, videos, that some of these, what are really psychotics are putting out there, they are cries for help. And we have a public, a mental health crisis in this country, mm-hmm. big time, and it's getting worse and worse. And I, I'm, I don't know... But I certainly believe that it's not just culture, but that we have got the psych- uh, psychotropic medications must be doing something here. Like, how would we possibly know what Adderall does at the end of the day? How would we possibly know? It wasn't even made for what they use it for. None of this stuff is... How do we know? All I can say oh, yeah, is that there's there- a ton of people wandering around on, like, cocktails of stuff that, oh, like, totally. we have no clue. Somebody even, and, and this, I think, pretty much started mostly it during my generation, where we first heard that some kids had attention deficit disorder. Well, mm-hmm. that's interesting, ADHD. And some kids who were quirky in school, including some clever kids, who were weird and didn't fit right in school, were put on medication, and we were told that's the, you know, then they'll fit right. Of course... Fitting right into some schools meant uh, assimilating into a network of a-holes and jerks and stupidity. So it's like we are punishing kids who were outliers, and especially in in, in nine good towns, kick them back into play with the normal kids. Kick them back. The normal kids who are idiots. Well, yeah, and not only are the normal kids idiots, but the system itself in a lot of cases is like weird punitive prison that makes no sense and serves no purpose for a ton of the kids who are there a lot of it is so much this idea i mean it's very much like a 19th century rigid idea of like you know that all these kids are regimented in this and that and that's really not how 
kids develop. And especially then, like, we spawned in the last couple decades these legions of education experts and administrators and people who develop these standards and standardized Mm -hmm. testing and curricula and all this stuff. As though before all these people walked onto the scene, like, we didn't know how to teach kids to read and stuff. Like... You know, our our school district used to do this when I used to deal with the local school district before I gave up on local school districts. Um, you know, they'd be like, our learn to read curriculum is over eight years old. We need to buy a new curriculum. And I'm like, why? Has something changed about how kids learn to read in the last eight years? Like, I don't understand. Why do you need to buy a new curriculum? It's completely outdated completely outdated i'm like it's learning to read i don't understand the letters make the same sounds they made eight years ago it doesn't make any sense but all the experts science has totally changed on teaching kids to read we need all new curriculum we need all new this we need all new that we need social emotional learning we need to teach them about their whiteness and we need to teach them about gender ideology like we knew how to teach kids before None of this new stuff is better. It's just new for the sake of newness and for the sake of paying all these people crazy six-figure salaries to tell other people who... I mean, like, teachers in some cases who've been teaching kids to read for decades are now getting explained to by very important experts with lots of master's degrees about education, about, like, how they should teach kids to read, as though they didn't weren't able to teach kids to read infuse, for all this time. Infuse the new religion of mm-hmm. with an eye towards equity. And then you've totally diluted and we've we've made it's a baffling mess, the education system. And but parents still believe, oh, I live in a nice leafy suburb, you know, is Sweetsville, America. Mm-hmm. And so the education system where the, is where they go to learn. You know, we've done all the right things. We've changed the name of the school from the chieftains to uh, you know the river rabbits, so that's mm-hmm. good, and they're learning about tolerance, and there there's there's rainbow flaggy stuff. The, so that's so if the school has become especially to the the most the most venal uh, generation of parents ever has become a place where you really reflect on your own self. Right. I'm good because look at my child; she goes there and she learns this stuff and all this stuff, and we've decentralized. Um, Halloween, thankfully. And well, doing- yeah, oh, and I'm- it's it's it, so it, fascinating it's- because, like you were saying, you know, then we take kids, especially boys, and we mm-hmm. shove them into this crazy environment where you have adults telling them this, like, psychedelic stuff about gender that just absolutely makes no sense and has no relation to reality. You remove from them any communal time, like recess when they can build relationships and community and and you know, a sense of of having a society with the other kids, right? When you're just that, because that to me is what's important about school. I could take or leave the education stuff because most of it is just bunk at that age. Like it's about the relationships with the other kids and the, you know, getting a sense of having your own little world where you have see people and have this sort of social life in this social world. And You know, so we deprive them of recess time. Now with COVID, you usually are depriving them of lunch time also. You're depriving them of talking to each other. You're keeping them six feet apart. You're putting little masks over their faces so they can't see the human face. Like, what do you actually think is going to happen with these kids? It was already bad enough when the education was sitting them down at a stupid desk all day. I remember at our last school district, in first grade snack time ceased to be snack time and became a working break 
where they would have right. to continue work on their little worksheets at their desks while having their snack. I mean, like, really? And now, on top of that, now their faces are covered and they can't talk to each other and they have no, like, recess or lunchtime where they're unregimented. It's so obscene. It's so obscene. And then you wonder why they all have right. mental issues. And, and, I, and I think that that, and this is why it plays into Noah's book, too, is that between that and now social media so now they're all in now they're floating in space now where they can talk in different platforms freely to other people who have no clue about anything we have the famous case up here with michelle what's her name who convinced some depressed boy to kill himself over texts mm-hmm. you know you're so you're so unmoored to anything any value system any anything and god knows how adult so many kids are that we wonder why they're floating freely which and part of that, I think, is because parents, and a lot of them, these parents are now my age, are there's no value system. They think they're sophisticated. They're too sophisticated for organized religion. I think they're seeing in themselves are living vicariously through their kids. They want to hang mm-hmm. out with their kids and be their kids' friend more than ever. Um, and they're, they're, they're fellow traveler rather than the crappy job of being the custodian and parent of a kid, which mm-hmm. is tough stuff and sucks well, a lot of time. Well, because that imparts duties on right. you as of a course. parent, requirements. Which, right, which is, which, is, which is very tough. I also think there's a certain track of parent as well who says, I know that ever I went to high school, I got popular, I was uh, good looking, I had this kind of boyfriend. I did this thing. I went to this college. I had this. I always wore, wore the right stuff. I wore Gap in the eighty in the eighties and nineties when I was supposed to. I wore uh, Abercrombie when I was supposed to. I wore J Crew when I was supposed to. I've always been, and this is very. Oh, this is where I go to 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 Noah's book too. Very waspy, perfect in so many ways that, that I was, and I want to make sure that my kid does hits all those style uh, quotas along the, way, the same mm-hmm. way. You know, be this kind of person. Be a lawn sign kind of kid. Be ever going back to the Black Lives Matter thing kind of kid. You know, be this right. kind of like. I want to make sure my kid knows how to, ha- you know, be culturally cool in his in his uh, you know ear or whatever. And all these things are window dressing. It's all vacuous stuff in lieu of anything actual deep, actual right. centering, actual spiritual, actual whatever. And I think that those are parents that Noah's talking about exactly. In his book, these are the new Puritan kind of parents, and mm-hmm. they found a, a track that they want to be on, and it's an elite track, and it's sophisticated. Unfortunately, I think one of the fall parts of the fallout are um, the kids are just lost, which is which brings us to this July Fourth shooter who uh, shot at least killed at least six people in in um, Chicago in a Chicago suburb. This kid is twenty two years old. If you check his social media, oh, have they identified him? Yeah, now? Robert. I didn't even it's see Robert that. Bobby E. Crimel the third. His uh, father ran for mayor of Highland Park in 2019 and owns Bob's Pantry in Highland Park. He's got all sorts. The kid's obviously messed up. He's a slight kid. He's got all sorts of uh, armor stuff. He's dressing like. Is a there any kind of ideological? Thing I, I'm to not this sure. That they know I'm, of? I'm not sure, but he is. He's got all sorts of tats and stuff all over him. He's not, he's mentally, just by looking at him, much like you could by the shooter um, mm-hmm. in Sandy Hook. You, you just look at these kids' pictures. Here, I can show you. Here's a few. If you can't see, I'm not sure if this will come out there. You can see a little bit. But it, the, kid's a, the kid's a mess. I don't know what his ideology is. It doesn't seem to me. I don't know where he'd be welcome anywhere. But anyway, he's, he's an 
he shot a bunch of people from roof. He's right now on loose. I assume he'll be yeah. Found. David Rayaboy, or I don't know how to say his mm-hmm. last name, but he's like one of these right wing sort of fitness uh, testosterone yeah. guys. He writes, looking at the loser figni- physiognomy of the repulsive Highland Park shooter, notice that many or most of these kids all look very low T, thin, and shrunken. I agree with him. I yeah. think that's something. Who knows what what it's going through? But we've got a, a a culture battle here, and we have a mental health situation. And the fact that we're that that is the, the secondary or tertiary uh, conversation going on mm-hmm. is nuts. And I mean, this is the the bloody uh, edge of what's happening right now, and we need to fix it. The other part, I believe is what Noah talks about, which is this culture war we're in. And this idea that there are so many people, there are so many progressives that have taken control of nice cities and towns of fairly decent Americans and have bullied them, have coerced them into um, acting and, and, um, uh, you know, into being compliant in these weird ideological... um, performances in the way they live their lives i believe these things are absolutely related and i think this is a problemo that we've got and it's not it it is it's it's interesting because the day-to-day struggle that we have culturally and as we talk about every day there is a problem happening you can't have you know Real adults saying that we want the I need the the, the nine year olds to be twerked upon and to wear masks for no reason but thinking they're doing something really important, and they're doing that and it's happening all over the place, and it's about this weird compliance and adherence and they're doing it to kids which sucks, and it's crazy and thankfully Noah Rothman has documented this stuff. And totally makes sense of it. So this idea of Puritanism, the old Puritanism, like the Salem witch trials where, you know, at some point they couldn't make sense of the lives around them anymore. So they had to, they went irrational and did things like uh, burned people at the stake because they couldn't make sense of their worlds. Well, there's a new incarnation now and it's happening around us today in one way or another whether it's destroying your business or canceling you or you know weird curriculum or just bizarre um bizarre behavior by people that's the new battle and that's what we're doing so we're going to go now to noah rothman and uh he's a commentary magazine and i think you're going to enjoy this and find this a, a crucially important um narrative we are thrilled to bring on Noah Rothman. You know him from Commentary Magazine and the Commentary uh, Podcast, which is by far the best podcast in the world. It is daily. It is a blessing. Thank you so much for that. Noah is the author of The Rise of the New Puritans, uh, Fighting Back Against the Progressives' War on Fun. Noah, thanks for joining uh, Alice and I on the radio show. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. So, Okay, so I know that the original puritans were joyless and and witch burning there's not a direct correlation between them and this new incarnation right they're just out of the same vein there's an absolute direct correlation in Mm. fact um and the new puritans are much more joyless in fact than their predecessors 400 years ago the the progressive project emerged from the ashes of the puritan experiment it seems odd to us only insofar 
as the modern left, as we understand it in the 20th century, became very, you know, was taken over by the revolutionaries of the new left and the sexual revolution when they elevated um, licentiousness, the pursuit of self-gratification, even hedonism to its own particular value set. That is not native to the to the left experience in this country. Uh, the progressive project in the 19th century was a direct outgrowth of the Puritan project. It had a lot of elements of mainline Protestantism to it. It had a very moral mm. flavor to it. And it uh, perceived the world uh, as a project to be perfected. And you yourself, your own soul, your own your own person as a project to be perfected. These were two halves of the same whole. And only because what I posit is this the sexual revolution was a passing fad on the left. Does this not seem does this seem disorienting to us? But when you look at the, the intellectual evolution of the left from a 30,000 foot perspective over 400 mm. years, the parallels are eerie. But aren't the new Puritans godless, though, compared to the old ones? Yes, there is a lack of of deism mm. in the project. There is a lack of a of a deity that can provide you with absolution and forgiveness. There is, however, a very religious tone and element to what is, in fact, a moral crusade that they are engaged in. And one of the one of the arguments that I make in this book is that this is not a secular religion insofar as it lacks this deism. It is a way of life. It transcends religious and political practice. It is about creating an idealized so, a theory of social uh, organization. And in that sense, it very much does mirror the Puritan, the Puritanical elements and the progressive project, both of which are, again, two sides of the same coin. But if they're trying to to grow and organized, how come there's so much destruction? You, you may, you've written about in commentary, but also in the book, thriving, wonderful small businesses that have gone awry of the accepted, you know, practices of this new uh, Puritanism, Puritanism and, and they're destroyed. Why are they? Why does is, is there so much destruction in this worldview? Perhaps because you must destroy to create um, that which is uh, impure, which is a threat to the wholesome society that the new Puritan hopes to build, um, must be broken down before it can be rebuilt. And there's, as you say, quite a lot of destruction in this initial phase of this project. Uh, most of it is being is being done to fellow progressives, to people who are inclined yeah. to look upon this project. Uh, with favor and, 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 you know, to genuflect in front of it and thus lend it legitimacy and power. Um, but once once that homogenized political environment is secure, they will train their fire on harder targets. Mm. And uh, we're, we're at the very initial stages of that. But first, you must homogenize the left before you can train your fire on the right. So is canceling the uh, Irish guy who makes falafels is that not really about cultural sensitivity? Is that just is the cultural sensitivity angle just a reason to destroy him? I mean, it's informed on, in a very superficial way by cultural competency. But and, and a lot of what we see, particularly in the food world, which I talk about in chapter three of this book, is uses the language of the of the modern puritanical left to prosecute professional jealousies that are otherwise really parochial and very sort of base. Um, but no, it, the, and at root is a gratuitous level of self-denial, of delayed gratification, which is a virtue. Uh, my chapter, the chapters in this book are all organized by virtues, ostensibly. These are theories of uh, living a moral life, a grounded life, a, a, a productive life, but they are 
in this particular case, especially when it comes to this uh, item that you just identified, a gratuitous performative level of self-denial is the point. The whole purpose of it is to demonstrate your zeal for the cause by putting yourselves in, in positions where your, your physical um, and emotional stress are observable. That is very puritanical. That's something that was actually done to congregants in the 17, early uh, late 1600, early 17th century. So you could ascend to church membership. Today, we mm. call it doing the work. Back then, <laughs> we called it visible sainthood. And it really is a part of the project of becoming a member of your community in good standing and religious moral standing. Huh. So I find this so fascinating, Noah. And, you know, Tom and I, we've been talking the whole pandemic about how the pandemic has kind of developed this weird purity culture on the left about how like goodness is associated with how strongly you isolate and how many masks you wear and how many vaccine boosters you get. And there really is sort of this religious purity aspect to it among people who really probably wouldn't in most cases, consider themselves very religious. But it is kind of a common element to lots of religions, this interest in, you know, some kind of asceticism, what you eat, um, who, what your sexual practices are, and, and limiting those in some way in order to achieve some kind of spiritual goal. But traditionally, religions have, you know, offered some sort of absolution or um, you know, appointing towards something higher through these rules. What is what does this new Puritanism point towards? What's the what's the end goal of it? What's the point? Well, the end goal is an idealized society. What that is, is a moving target. Um, it, it changes and shapes with the day's news cycle, which is why it's so difficult to pin down and why so many of the people who are inclined towards this point of view find themselves in the crosshairs. They, they step on a landmine they didn't know was there and wasn't there 10 minutes ago. Uh, to use the word asceticism, as you did, is absolutely correct. Um, there, this, there is an element of this movement that is fascinated with and obsessed with, in fact, breaking down the barriers between private and public life, because there can be no private life if sin is in itself and, and sins against this, this new social compact are ubiquitous. There can be no distinction between the sinner, the uh, sin itself, and the, and the environment in which the sin is committed. They are all part of the same continuum, which is also very much part of the Puritan project uh, from and masking to a certain degree has this element. Ostensibly, it's a public health doctrine. Um, <laughs> but very quickly, when you talk to activists who, who became very besotted with the idea of doing this in public and private and in your own home, in your own car, that it became a badge. It was a sumptuary law. It demonstrated to the public uh, with a, a very visible symbol um, your, your ideals, your beliefs, mm. and your willingness to... Um, observe authority in ways that are as deferential as possible. And this is also something that was mandated by statute in uh, in the colonies in particular in the late 1600s, early 1700s. And it is still with us today in the way in which fas uh, fashion is policed. Uh, mostly you, you're, the New Puritan believes that you should be wearing a garb that is um, indicative of your accidents of birth, mostly um, ethnic. But back in the day, mm. in the turn of the 17th century, uh, late 1600s, it was uh, your statu your status economically. It's still a little bit like that. But we still have this kind of idea that you need to be wearing a uniform to demonstrate who you are and to whom you are subordinate. We're talking to Noah Rothman. He's the author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. So you mentioned that you mentioned Protestantism earlier. And it's, it's very funny because... 
I, uh, I grew up in a town called Winchester, Massachusetts. It was a very nice town. We went to the first congregational church. Everybody had the same Volvo. Everybody lived in the same, you know, restored Victorian beautiful house. And now it, the town is even, obviously, is even more um, more uh, elite. But, of course, they're entirely woke. The church has the rainbow stuff all over it. Everybody's got the same Range Rover, and everybody's got the same uh, restored uh, Victorian house as well. Are these, is this the flair to use to borrow from office <laughs> space of the pro- progressive uh, Puritans? Yeah, there's all there's a whole host of, uh, of outward displays that you're meant to engage in, which mm-hmm. signify to everybody around you who you are, what you believe, and whether you're a member of the tribe in good standing. Uh, and there is a tribal element to this, most certainly. Uh, but as you say, um, there's a series of values and value propositions there, most of which in the abstract are not bad. Nobody Mm. would disagree with sort of the the abstract theory of what progressivism is ostensibly dedicated to, creating a social contract that makes sure that you don't have to depend on charity alone in your darkest hours, um, a communitarianism, uh, Mm. uh, protecting and preserving our ecological heritage. All these are sort of noble values that in the abstract, outside... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Out of their practice few would take issue with it is in the practice thereof and the zealotry with which dissenters apostates heretics are <laughs> greeted um that that you become just that that the problem becomes really self-evident and this so this is not an attack on puritanism per se puritanism yeah. left us with many of the gifts that we take for granted in the american experiment uh, the problem becomes uh again in their practice and the degree to which adherents of this particular moral code perceive, and, and Puritanism too, perceived itself to be a trial, a tribulation, mm. something that you have to suffer with and endure and indeed demonstrate your, your great labors for the, for the benefit of the public so that they too can, can reach their own conversion. Um, this is a, a perennial understanding of this kind of uh, establishment of the idea of a wholesome society and it has to it can it has to be born of fire it cannot be something other than a trial uh, and we're so that's very much in the puritan project it evolved into the progressivism of the 19th century with its with its moralism uh and it's coming back to the fore today it's a very familiar form of leftism the kind of hedonistic permissive uh pursuit of self-gratification above all that typified the left in the late 20th century was an aberration and i maintain a passing fad is so are all these signifiers uh, the mask in the black lives matter yard sign are these are these mostly to establish with yourself and your community that you're all on board 
or is half the uh, half the reason to establish who's not on board. So, for instance, Noah's yard doesn't have the Ukraine flag mm. on it. You know, ha ha, there we go. Because it seems to be when they're when they're going after small businesses anyway, or businesses that they look for these little signifiers, pronouns. You know, what what don't you have? And and that brings them. Uh, oh, I know people who won't go to businesses that don't have a diversity statement that clearly states that Black Lives Matter, for example. That's unique. <laughs> um, but that well, and in, in the process, they are depriving themselves of something they might otherwise enjoy for the sake of a of an abstract principle. That self deprivation is wholly native to um, the the puritanical idea and Puritans generally who would who subscribe to what Cotton Mather said was, you know, the idea that uh, you are this most loathsome creature that God mm. must contend with you uh, to his utter detriment. And nobody suffered quite like Christ. Mm. He, he suffered as much as you as you could possibly suffer. And to be Christ like is to suffer and endure. Um, one of the scholars of Puritanism I quote often in this book, um, George McKenna, who's, who's a fantastic author and, and uh, historian, um, identifies one of the main attributes, a tendency that is native to Puritans, which is uh, Puritans, which is this idea of anxious introspection. It is this idea that sin exists not just externally, but within ourselves. And there is a, a, a forever project that we must engage in to identify these um these sort of tendencies and traits that can lead us towards sin and are indeed in, innate to us. And you see that in a lot of how the banalities that the New Puritan focuses on Im imbuing a burrito stand with world historic political significance um, <laughs> is very puritanical insofar as they have a decoder ring that lets them see the hidden workings of the world, most of which are hideous. Um, and so so many banal preoccupations that you might think are just, you know, happy pastimes, knitting, sewing, baseball card collecting, enjoying Christmas, just <laughs> yeah. to go really back to and Thanksgiving, like holidays to go really Puritan on you. This is the sort of thing that you an, an educated person, a moral person understands that there's hidden layers to this, many of which are quite hideous and expose the, the frailties of the human condition and also the sins of America's birth. And to be fully aware of them is to be an educated person and to act on them is to be a noble person. <laughs> so you do see elements of this, you know, thread throughout throughout history. And it's not just about projecting yourself as this noble, good person and then doing whatever you want behind closed doors. It really does involve a, a private aspect, a private aspect in which you are forever engaged in the pursuit of penitence. Yeah. And it's so interesting. You know, I as a person, I practice a confessional form of Christianity. So I definitely believe in this process of introspection and, and self-improvement in that in some sense, right? I don't think that, that 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 in itself is necessarily bad. But what I find curious is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the original Puritans knew and understood that they were engaged in a religious project. And what concerns me about some of my progressive friends that are part of this new progressive Puritan movement is I'm not sure that they understand this as a religious project. I think a lot of them believe that this is really just objective reality and we all need to be doing this. They don't see themselves as part of a, a cult religious movement. They see themselves mm -hmm. as just the realists and we're just teaching real history. We're just acknowledging the reality of where these holidays come from. We're acknowledging the reality of how it impacts minorities when you open the burrito stand. Sure. Yeah, I mean, 
that is the logic that they apply to this sort of thing. And I do maintain in this book and take some issue with some scholars with whom I have uh, for whom I have the highest regard. People like um, John McWater, who have who wrote a very influential book and a, and a brilliant book discussing this new woke phenomenon as as sort of a secular religion. I maintain that this is this what we're witnessing transcends religious practice and political practice mm-hmm. and, and, and isn't really a, a religion insofar as it doesn't have the kind of deism that you would see in a in a conventional religion, which is the the avenue through which you seek forgiveness, you find absolution that doesn't exist here. Um, so I I maintain that this is much more of a just a holistic way of life. Um, it is a code of conduct that mm. transcends all, all religious practice and 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 the practice of politics as we conventionally understand it. It's how so- societies organize themselves, and it is totalitarian. In that sense, because it is total, its prescriptions are total, the behaviors it seeks to extirpate or prescribe are total. Um, That doesn't mean it's anti-democratic. The Puritans were great democratizers. They just lived in a society that was wholly and entirely homogenous. So they didn't have to work too hard in that degree. Um, We don't. We don't have that luxury. And that's part of the when homogeneity broke down around Puritanism in the colonies. That's when Puritanism itself failed. Uh, It couldn't survive outside of that very hermetic environment. And and this can't either. But the instrument of its demise will be what I prescribe, I think, prescribe is mockery, flippancy, taking these people with a grain of salt and Mm. observing the tortures they put them through and hope to put you through and simply rejecting it. Live a joyful life. Find the humor value in in the the threats that these people attempt to make and the and the the spectacles they make of themselves uh, because it is funny it's objectively funny <laughs> this is a very small group of people here I'm not talking about Democrats I'm not talking about liberals I'm yeah. not even talking about progressives per se I'm talking about a puritanically pres- inclined progressive which is a very small niche but they punch way above their weight and they have cowed a lot of the people who would otherwise be d- disinclined to to follow them and certainly inclined towards mockery, at least, because they make such spectacles of themselves. It, it, it's led them to be quiet about it. This book, I hope, gives you a little bit of permission to not be so quiet anymore with, with what you really think about these people. No, it, it used to be that the people on the left were the fun ones. Weren't they at Woodstock dropping acid and getting laid? Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the establishment lame and to be pushed back against? But these, these people are joyless. And when we were growing up, I mean, for most of our adult lives, the dynamic has been left-wing licentiousness, mm-hmm. uh, left-wing permissiveness, even to a degree that self uh, self-harms, engages in self-destructive behaviors, and contrast that with right-wing prudishness. Mm. Right-wing prudery was the typifying feature of a conservative. They didn't like the trash you read. They didn't like the the garbage you watched, the music you listened mm. to. All of it was degrading, uh, degrading society, was was mm. sowing the seeds for our own personal destruction. It was uh, debauched at the very least. And at, at the worst, it was uh, creating the conditions that, that would lead to the republic to fall. There has been a profound role reversal here. Now, not entirely. If you, you know, the left is very much when I get pushed back to this book, the left says, well, Republicans want to they're culture warriors, too. Well, yeah, that's searing insight. If it was 1988, if I was writing the book, The Old Puritans, that would have been a fantastic observation. This is a newer story and it's frankly more interesting story because what you described, Tom, um, the triumph of the and the baby boomer generation of this live and let live ethos um, that had a, dis- a distinct 
uh, genesis in the new left. There were many on the new left in the 1960s who were censorious, who did who did uh, didn't believe in free expression, didn't believe in free love. Um, and found all of this to be rather uh, abhorrent and, and immoral. They didn't have an audience then. They have since found their audience. The licentious uh, left uh, finds itself on the way out. And their progeny of the sexual revolutionaries are far more austere to a degree that shocks and even offends their parents and their grandparents. And that's one of the things that I uh, uh, prescribe in this book is that this younger generation needs to be confronted with the fact that they will not accept that they are less tolerant less accepting, yeah. less permissive than their grandparents. <laughs> so interesting. And, and let's say let's say that person who went to Woodstock then went, went on to work at the New York Times and now is a senior editor at the New York Times and then accommodates some of these young new Puritans uh, who then, you know, knife them in the newsroom, essentially. <laughs> so uh, why why are the... Why are the parents of this new generation of psychotic progressives accommodating this? Well, they're scared. And they have reason to be scared, but only because they have lent so much power and authority to the individuals who they who now hold them hostage. All of this was a voluntary transaction. It occurred over the course of a decade or so. The, the uh, a generation of very skillfully um, adept and well-equipped uh, activists on this puritanically inclined left absorbed what they were being taught. They absorbed the language of the academy. They uh, festooned their arguments. And this is not a new tactic either. This is in chapter eight. The, the moral science um, was something that the puritanically inclined in the left in the 19th century uh, adopted and embraced as a tactic, not a strategy, a tactic to festoon your arguments with these linguistic flotillas that mm. demonstrate, you know, your uh, not only your moral uh, probity, but also your uh, your intelligence and the the, uh, the grounding of your of your uh, work and in this kind of uh, social understanding that is very, uh, very scientific and very authoritative. And it shuts down arguments just by virtue of the fact that it sounds so authoritative. Uh, and when you they've wielded in the early part of the last decade, they wielded this language, these linguistic tropes and this uh, uh, this institutional knowledge to navigate these institutions and to terrify them by using their their own language against them in a way that actually mirrors the triumph of the scientific moralists in the late 19th century, uh, neither of none of whom had any science behind them, only had moral arguments and the weight of the state and the power of the state to intimidate and threaten. And they've subsequently taken control of these institutions. Now, they're very ill-equipped to wield this power that they've mm. assumed for themselves, but they took it well, and this, have it now. <laughs> you mentioned the language. The language, also the acceptable language in the list of acceptable vocabulary seems to change every 10 minutes. So what was acceptable today may not be acceptable tomorrow. Doesn't that put these these progressives in a precarious position? Of and it may be retroactive too. The, well, oh, un, the not being acceptable might go back to what you said yesterday and find you guilty based on the standards today. Yeah, that the, is exactly right. So exactly that, right. Isn't that a, a precarious position for them because they could have unintended casualties of their own rules, ever changing rules? Absolutely. And, and they have. I mean, one of the briefly as a story, probably everybody knows, but it's one that was jumping off point to make that exact point um, was this experience uh, of Sarah Silverman, who had done this sketch in 2007, where she donned blackface in order to make a satirical portrait of whether it was harder to be a Jew or a black person in America. It was a joke. It was a mm -hmm. bad joke. It didn't go anywhere. No one noticed for 10 years. No one noticed. But then all of a sudden the standards change and this retroactive violation 
of modern standards of uh, decorum and propriety in comedy was retroactively applied to her violation of it. And she subsequently lost a very lucrative job over this thing that didn't make a ripple at the time in in her same industry. Um, That's the sort of evolving standard that is A, unmeetable, and B, engenders a ton of hostility. I only I think I talked to nine out of nine out of 10 people I spoke to to this book are liberals, identify as liberal, Mm. vote Democratic, wouldn't wouldn't vote for a Republican with a gun to their head, Mm. but are very resentful of the conditions that are robbing them of their enthusiasm for their life's work. They're being told that they can't make a living doing this thing that they've dedicated themselves to because it was fun. Very many of them openly said, guess what? I don't I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. It sucks. But this is all I know how to do. I love I loved it. But what happened? What happened to my business? What happened to my industry? What happened to my colleagues? All of a sudden they've they've become pod people. And there <laughs> yeah. is a backlash brewing. There is definitely. I mean, I'm seeing it more and more in the news. Very famously, there was this piece in the Intercept last week, the elephant in the Zoom, that talked about how these progressive organizations are getting hollowed out and it's destroying their own their own goals. And I think um, one of the reasons your book is so interesting is it really gets at the heart of the psychology of this and and what's going on and what's, you know, sort of eating alive the goals of the progressive project and, and their ability to really get anything done. Um, you know, I think in some ways the the right is also susceptible to a little bit of this, but um, but this like populist Trump movement has has really inured it in a lot of ways to this particular brand of group think. I mean, do you think that the backlash that's coming will, you know, enable the left to kind of get their act back together and recapture some of their institutions from this? Or is this a longer term thing that they're going to be stuck with for a while now? I mean, it may. I, I kind of go back and forth on the virtue of that, uh, mm. being somebody who's not on the left myself. The <laughs> destructive path on which they're on is, is something I'm not sure we should talk them out of. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, Yeah. So you talk about the progressive project that might be the way back to it, because as we said in the beginning of this uh, broadcast, the ideals and goals and values of the left in the abstract and the theoretical are universal goals. They really are just a human, a human idea of how a society should organize itself. That is a virtuous society. It's in the practice where I take a lot of issue with it. And I think a lot of conservatives would, but nevertheless, just being neighborly, and having a society that's neighborly is a wonderful goal. The problem is, and the puritanically inclined pro- uh, progressive, is the methods that they use to achieve these goals no longer advance the goals themselves. Indeed, they quite often detract from them. And increasingly, it is the method that is emphasized. It is the labor that you have to emphasize, not, mm. not the lesson that you learn from the labor. It's the work. It is the self-sacrifice that you have to emphasize, not the benefit, but that somehow a, a dem- you know, gives to somebody else. I don't know how that would be, but you abstaining from, um, you know, eating at this culturally appropriated food truck, which is delicious, mm-hmm. somehow benefits somebody. But you can't <laughs> emphasize that in part because there is no benefit there. It's all just a construct. What you're doing is demonstrating your own capacity for self-denial, self-deprivation to a performative degree. Um, you know, the involuntary uh, responses that your body generates from a sinful meal or a ribald joke. You know, when you when you burst out a gut laugh, your body betrays you. That's not <laughs> governed by the intellect. That is a dangerously ungovernable impulse it means you're dangerously ungovernable. This is the sort of thing that must be conditioned out of you. 
It's a wholly joyless project. It's doomed to failure, but it is one that's very familiar. <laughs> and it's doomed to failure because we've seen it fail well, several times in the course of this history. We're, we're just bound to learn this lesson, I guess, every generation or so. Um, but we will learn it one way or the other. Well, do, do the puritanically inclined, will they be dissipated, cast off, or will they fester in a new territory? It will transmute <laughs> into some other hopefully healthier and much more effective uh, method of political organizing, most likely, because this trait is has been with us for the whole of our history. So I wouldn't put money down to say that it's going anywhere um, and it'll find its home in new coalitions. It'll find its home in the right, as it traditionally has over the course of the last tw- the 20th century. It'll find its home again on the left. We'll, it is part of the American DNA. Um, and if it does go away for however long it does go away, it'll be because it's not effective anymore. Mm. It's a terrible organizing philosophy. And it just it, it's the detriments are greater than the rewards. Um, I, I think a practical argument will win out first. But in order to have that practical argument, you have to demonstrate that these people wield very little power. Um, they wield they only wield the power they are granted. Mm. And the first way to do that is to laugh at them, <laughs> make them a mockery. Uh, that that that's how you wake somebody up, because once once they're a, a laughing stock and the Puritans did become laughing stock, but despite their many contributions yeah. to uh, American society, the great great gifts of American society, the abolition of slavery, our democratic institutions, mm. the charitable social compact, all that stuff is Puritan is Puritan in origin. And they are not remember, remembered fondly for it. They're remembered as caricatures of themselves. The new Puritans similarly have made have have had successes. Um, they've rid commercialism of their crass appeals to male sexual fantasies. They've made football a little less violent without sacrificing its appeal. Um, this is the sort of thing mm. that they would should be saying, uh, you know, we have some victories here, but they're not satisfied with victories because victories aren't the goal. The labor is the goal. It's a perpetual, unending torment uh, <laughs> that you have to that you have to demonstrate that you are tormented by. If you are not, you're not sufficiently committed to the cause. Uh, eventually, that will lose its appeal. But first, it has to be it has to be attacked and made fun of and shown for the for the laughing stock that that it is. And that's hopefully what this book does. Uh, very quickly, before I let you go, Noah, why aren't you afraid of them? You're poking them in the eye here. This group that wants to cancel everybody and, and make everybody's life hell. I mean, how do you stand up to them? You're documenting you it. You are laughing you- at them. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you why. Um, and it's a story that uh, is summed up in the phrase banned in Boston, <laughs> which is actually something that uh, makes its way into this book. So in the heart of mainline Protestant, you know, Massachusetts, where the Puritan experiment still survived, albeit in a different form in late 19th century, uh, there was a profound censorious impulse. Uh, you know, they, they waged war on leaves of grass by Walt Whitman. They were they were banning books left and right, bottlerizing plays, banning songs on the radio, refusing to let you have the dime store novels that were sensations all over the country. Uh, it became sort of a picturesque part of an esoteric feature of the Boston scene. And it was it had a, there was a, a backlash brewing against it. And when it materialized, when that backlash manifested, it transformed Band in Boston from a uh, a warning against titillating experiences in literature and culture to a powerful advertisement for it. <laughs> people. People actually sought to have their books banned in Boston to increase sales across the country. The alternative, the, you know, the modern equivalent of that is banned on Facebook. 
conservative mm. books find themselves bottlerized, banned, oh. uh, find find themselves like you know not not making their way into ad features or what have you. And this is deliberate. This is not a conspiracy theory. This has been documented, and it's documented in this book. So it's my fondest hope that somebody tries to cancel me. <laughs> Please cancel this book. Everybody wins. True. It's opponents so true. will draw blood. Its fans will say, "Oh, you know, look how terrible they are." I will be very well compensated. Everybody's gonna have. A great time. So go ahead, please cancel right. I guess it's the, the Rise of the New Puritans. I guess it's a version of having the parental advisory warning on your album during yeah. a certain era, too. It tells you that it's exactly the album you need to go out and buy. So the book is The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. The author is Noah Rothman. Once again, follow him on commentary as well in the commentary podcast. You can buy the book and burn it if you want, but it is available. Go out and get it. I'm looking at it on Amazon here right now. Noah, thank you so much much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care. Once again, thank you, Noah Rothman. Fantastic. Alice, great job with the questions there. I thought that you were smart. Uh, like I said, I, Noah reminds me of somebody that you would date <laughs> in school. That's flattering, honey. Yeah. No, to that, me. It is flattering to you, but you're wonderful. You know? um, so, And also, I'll be playing, we'll, we'll have that on the radio show tomorrow or today, whenever you're hearing mm-hmm. this. And... Um, Let's see. Uh, all I can say is we had a great day today. Beautiful Fourth of July. And is there anything you'd like to add? Oh, I think that's pretty much it. Obviously, everybody's out on social media trying to outcompete each other for the worst Fourth of July takes this year. A bunch of ke- people have canceled the eighteen twelve overture. Oh yeah, that's right. And in Connecticut, and of course, yeah. That- so Hartford, Connecticut was- can't play that. That's the New Puritans. It's too militaristic. That's that's it's the too Puritans. Russian. That's the Puritans that Noah's talking about. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Yeah. Is it now all the people in polite company who have the Ukrainian flag uh, yard signs are yeah. saying, "Huh? How can we even be more virtuous?" <laughs> you know what? We'll cancel the song that means the Fourth of July to everybody in America. Self-flagellation again. We'll punish ourselves again just to show. Yeah. But people like to drag this stuff into the. Uh, to the Ukraine stuff because, mm-hmm. but really they just like hate everything, right? Like they, that's what this is. Like they just hate joy and fun. And that's like mm-hmm. what Noah Rothman's getting at is it's like, hmm, somebody out there is having fun somewhere. And they're like, they're very suspicious when you gather on the Esplanade and look like you're having a good time. And there's like loud, joyous music. That's like very disturbing to them. But now they have a reason, right? It's the same, like, with the Melrose mascot thing, you know, a bunch of people suggested Melrose had the uh, Red Raiders, right? And a bunch of people suggested that they believed it used to be based on, um, like, some kind of World War One or two or something bombing bombers, yeah. uh, like some group that they had some connection with, and mm-hmm. and like, you know what? Let's keep the Red Raiders name, but instead of an Indian mascot, we'll do like a little bomber plane. And then a bunch of people were like, "Do you really think that's appropriate in light of the invasion of Ukraine?" Right. And they a, were like, a, well, a, "What does it have a, to do with the Grumman invasion B-25 of Grumman B twenty five from nineteen forty three could not be used as people the, are dying as the logo from because bombs of Ukraine, right now. like." They just find a reason, right. but they really just have a problem with you finding a solution to the mascot issue. You can't find a solution because that means I can't be freaking miserable about it anymore. So there's a bunch of people out there like that who were just looking for a reason. They're not really upset about Roe v. Wade. Nothing happened to them from the Roe v. Wade decision. Nothing's no. going on. But like they're not 
Nothing exactly. hurts inside them from that. They're just mad. And like now they have a reason. Mm, is it really appropriate to be celebrating the 4th of July this year? Are you sure? Like, does America really deserve a birthday when my rights are being stripped away from me? Like, your rights are fine. Stop. Nothing happened. But you know, Literally what? nothing has happened to you. Stop whining. I just I can't get over it. But then but and this one actually surprised me because this 4th of July take like kind of uh this got me off guard because I normally really like Jeff Jacoby of the Boston mm-hmm. Globe, but he had, I think he's like winning right now for worst uh, 4th of July take. Um, he posted a story today. This is uh, what he uh, wrote for his big 4th of July piece. He's like an opinion person at the Globe who's like their conservative sort of, I guess. He's, he's pretty moderate, but normally I like him. He goes, this July 4th, Pause to recall the Americans in 1776 who opposed the revolution. Countless loyalists were arrested and stripped of their property. Many became refugees, forced to flee and never allowed to return. It wasn't all glorious. A new column. And and, what is that a prime example of, Alice? Two more hogs got the fever. <laughs> That's right. Poor we lost Jacoby. Have to, have My to goodness. find a problem with the holiday. You can't just celebrate July Fourth. Somebody has to be hurt and miserable. Like, anyway, we're not hurt and miserable. We're having a great July Fourth. We are very happy. Happy birthday, America! God bless the USA. It's a great day. Go enjoy some fireworks. Uh, if you want, send us an email, burnbarrelpodcast at gmail.com. You can always find us on social media at burnbarrelpod on Twitter. Facebook.com slash burnbarrelpodcast, burnbarrelpodcast.com. You can find all the spots to listen. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Love you all. Good hitting the post, but go enjoy some fireworks, Alice. Really? Jeez, here. Eyewitness news anchor. <laughs> Please be mindful of our furry friends, too, when you're out there. <laughs> I'm a professional. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.